Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 120. Today in the show, Dan and I are sharing quick updates on my Idaho elk hunt, our most recent off-season scouting results, our plans for the early season, and our goals for 2016. Okay, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Sitka Gear. Today, we're just going to do an episode with me and my trusty co-host, Dan. It's going to be kind of short and sweet, but we want to get an episode in here before the hunting season really kicked off, at least for me and Dan, where we can talk about kind of our final preparations before the season, our goals and hopes and dreams for the 2016 whitetail season. Uh, I don't know, a bunch of crap like that, Dan. So does that sound okay to you? It sounds great. I need this. I need this. <laughs> Good. Me too. We we haven't, well, we, what have we done? Last time we chatted was just after I killed my Montana buck. Yep. And that was, I don't know, that was almost two weeks. That was probably two weeks ago now. Right. Um, Over so, the past, like, I don't even know, six podcasts you've put out, I don't know if I've we've been able to connect on many of those. I know there's been a bunch of scheduling issues and stuff. So we were on the Montana one together, and yep. then, oh shoot, there was one in between where we weren't there together. But I don't know. Long story short, we, we need to catch up. Right. We do need to catch up. And I'm going to cut you off right there. Okay. Please do. And <laughs> like, I, it, you know, I, I consider you a really good friend, Mark. Ditto. But I get extremely jealous when I see you on your Instagram and you're <laughs> up on top of a mountain where I was one year ago, but instead of being on that mountain with you, I'm in a I'm in a cubicle. I'm sorry, Dan. I it's know. all right. I, I'm a big boy. I can handle it. I know that feeling, though. That's a shitty crap. Well, <laughs> it's a crappy feeling. <laughs> Usually, you're the one who goes PG-13, Dan. <laughs> oh, and I might get there. Uh, I don't blame you. I uh, you didn't, I gotta tell you though. You know, you texted me like after the first day of the hunt and yeah. said something like, let me, let me guess, it's going bananas. Like you were yeah. pissed and yeah. you figured it was going to be awesome. And that first day it was kind of great. So I was like, oh man, Dan's going to be pretty upset. But after that day, you have you didn't miss out. <laughs> it was kind of more of the same that you and me had last year. Right. Unfortunately. Right. So are we talking a lot of rain? We had three days of rain. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So it was not quite to the level that you and me had, at least right. from like a length. Like, you know, with you and me, it was the entire day for right. like three of those days or four of those days. We had three days, but on every one of those days, we at least got some portion of the day where it stopped. So I think the first day was just that we got drenched in the morning, but the afternoon was fine. The second day, we got wet morning. Well, we got wet both times, but there's little breaks where at least we could get out of the tent and we still hunted morning and evening, and then the third day was just the morning again. Um, but you know how that is. It's just it's just tough. Everything yeah. gets wet. Um, there were no tent failures on this trip, so that was a plus. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Although I gotta admit, Dan, there was lots of fun made at your expense. I don't. Hey, you guys talk shit behind my back all you want. Uh, 
I'm okay with it. <laughs> it was like, like we went to bed and like it was raining and someone yelled, "Hey, Mark, I'm gonna have to come in the tent with you." <laughs> <laughs> oh, all in good memories. fun. Memories. <laughs> memories. Um, but yeah, it was like, you know, we we thought that we might be able to get in the elk this time, but. Maybe we were too early, or maybe it was just hunting pressure, but they just weren't bugling again. The elk that we did end up finding were super, super high and really far back there, kind of like we had last year. Right. Um, we, you know, we did, my buddy Andy killed a cow on the first day, which was awesome. And, you know, after that, there was like th- four days later, we saw a cow and a calf way up on a mountain. And then the next day or two days later, we ended up seeing a herd of like seven or eight cows and then a giant bull. We did see one big bull. Um, way above us on this mountain, and we just took off. I don't know how far it ended up being, a couple miles or something, and it was all straight uphill. Yeah. Um, we chased him and just never could catch up, and that was kind of the extent of the elk hunting excitement. But uh, we did see two really big bears, which is kind of cool. Oh, nice. And a bull moose. And, oh, really? Um, yeah. And then on the drive home, we saw a wolf and a grizzly bear, like 40 yards off the road. Oh, my God. That's that's awesome. You know how excited I was driving through Wyoming, right. and I was just like, "Hey, look, an antelope! Hey, look, an antelope! Hey, <laughs> yeah. look, an antelope!" And you're like, "Okay, Dan, we get it. There's a thousand <laughs> antelopes on this road." Yep. Yeah, you but, were freaked. Okay, so what I want to know is, do you remember that day? It was kind of misting out. The morning was a really good, beautiful morning, and uh, we climbed to the top. You had some pictures taken there on your Instagram that I, I saw. Yes. Um, then that day we saw those all those elk basically the next mountain over so we went straight down and then yeah. we went straight and went straight down to the bottom we ran into two moose yes. and then we went straight up to the top again to try to uh get on those the the elk that we saw yeah. were they in that area so interestingly that whole area there to the west they well, there may have been elk in there, but we started we we started hunting there like day two. Check, we decided to scope that area out, and we did see yep. a cow and a calf up there. And on one point, we heard like two bugles in that direction, but two different guys with a bunch of horses and like uh-huh. outfitting camps came riding by us, and they were gonna set up camp over there. It like these are then they weren't together, so there was two right. separate camps coming in over there. So we decided to bail on that side, and we moved all the way east. Okay. So we spent most of the rest of our time over to the east. And I got to tell you this, Dan, you might not believe it because we, we, we felt like we worked pretty hard, you know, when you and me were there. Yep. But we probably did like three times or more the amount of hiking and going up mountains this time. It was like last year's trip was the most brutal from like just dealing with the elements and like yeah. that kind of challenge. This year was definitely my most physically challenging hunt. I mean, we just, right. I think, you know, it was partly because of where the elk were. And then it was partly because I think, you know, last year, because it was so wet nonstop, it was just tough to hike. Mm-hmm. This time we had enough gaps in the rain that the ground wasn't all grease, so we could hike. So yep. we just hiked and hiked and hiked and hiked and went higher and higher and higher. And I think also because last year, because of the, the challenges we had finding elk, I kind of wanted to keep pushing farther and higher to try to eventually find them. And, and we tried. Um, we never really did get into too many of them. But I kind of have an area of where I think they are. It's just like freaking seven eight miles off the road in the deepest nastiest hellhole you ever right you ever could find and right. it's uh man i don't know we when we're up there we're like okay this is great but if we shoot a bull it's going to take us like three days to get out of here and we might die so right and that's that's what's so crazy about you know you look at some of these guys 
who you know are using outfitters or you know they're on um, you know private property for these elk hunts and those guys you really have to have respect for those DIY guys who go in deep and basically just bust their ass on uh, public ground and always come out with a bull and oh, yeah. it's it's never easy and it's always hard for me I have a lot of respect for those guys because my one year of experience with elk hunting and the amount that we had to walk and then now you say because you had better conditions you saw elk and you had to walk twice three times as much as we did oh shit I mean <laughs> those guys are doing it every year yeah yeah the guys that can get it done on public land on their own I mean, that is, it is, it no is one horses. of the most, yeah, with no horses, that's one of the absolute most challenging things out there, it's like in the world that I know of, right. so. Right. And then these brutal. guys doing sheep hunts, you know, even yeah. higher and further, wow. Yeah. I dream of doing those sheep hunts someday, but then I find myself like almost killing myself on an elk hunt. I'm like, how in the right. world can I handle sheep country? But Now, you know, you know me and you, okay, so we've been on an elk hunt together. Now, do you remember that that uh mule deer hunt that we wanted to go on before we decided to go on that elk hunt and how brutal that that was gonna be oh my gosh i keep on thinking of that i'm like we would have it would have been oh so tough right i I still want to do that we got to whip ourselves in the shape dan i know i'm gonna do it i'm gonna be i'm gonna be a badass by the time september comes next year when i go i bet you will i'm gonna try my hardest but there's a lot to there's a lot to do in between now and then too dan that's a fact. Um, that we get to cash in on, hopefully, here pretty soon. So I want to know, I want to know what's new with you in the whitetail world, because today, you know, I, I want to get caught up on like our whitetail stuff, because we haven't yeah. got to do that as much. Um, so I've got, I've got some very exciting news that I have not shared anywhere yet. Okay, but, I want you to tell it. But do you I want me to you, share it? Do you want me to go first, or do you want to go first? I don't. It sounds like your your stuff's more important and cooler than what my stuff is. Okay, and I, I want to also do a little fort not. Not foreplay. I want to do foreshadowing. <laughs> hey, Mark, I'm a married man. Come on now. I almost said that. I want to foreshadow things a little bit, and I just want you to be thinking about the fact that I want you to level with us by the end of the show on your final like goals and shoot or not shoot decision. Because like earlier this summer, you know, we talked about that a little bit, and you were all in your head, not sure what you want to do. So I, I'll get. I at least want an update on that. But before we dive into all that. We need to pause briefly to thank our partners at Sitka Gear for the support of this podcast. And today we have another Sitka story, and this one comes from Sitka Gear employee Kelly Thornton, who came to hunting late in life, and recently she shared with us the experience of killing her first deer. That first experience, it uh, it, it was life-changing for me, especially being a woman and especially being older. Uh, it was, but it was positive, you know. I, like so many of us, you know, just you get the buck fever when you see it and you shake and everything just goes to heck in a handbasket, you know. Nothing connects and it's just crazy. Um, but I did. I took one shot. I ended up um, shooting the the deer. It was a gut shot, you know. Probably not the most pleasant, but it was real, and I had to learn, you know, what that meant. And my husband. Uh, he taught me about field dressing, so I actually field dressed my own deer. Uh, it was it was a neat experience, and I had an appreciation for it. And I, I was very thankful and blessed that God had provided that animal for me to be able to provide to our family. 
I felt very proud that I had gone out, that I had, I had taken an animal that needed to have been taken, and I did it ethically. I, you know, respected that animal completely, um, and I started what I finished, or I finished what I started. Um, you know, from the moment you place the shot until, you know, hiking out with that animal. And so I think, yeah, for that, it was very, it was very uh, heartwarming. It was very spiritual, too. I think hunting is a lot about, you know, coming to terms with your spir- um, spirit, spirituality. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it was a very spiritual time, too, for my husband and I. Well... I can certainly relate to those kinds of feelings, and I bet many of you can too. So this was a Sitka story, and if you'd like to learn more about Sitka Gear's technical hunting apparel, you can visit sitkagear.com. And now, let's get back to the show. My interesting update. All right. All right. I don't know if you probably remember. I don't know if you do, but you might remember this buck I've been talking about that I called Holyfield. Do you remember that deer? Yep. I remember him. Okay, so Michigan. This is the deer that, um, excuse me, I've got the coffee burps over here. Um, Last year I saw him many times, or at least several times. I got tons and tons of daylight trail camera pictures of him. I passed him in mid-October. He was a really nice three-year-old eight-pointer last year, but since I'd already killed that buck on opening night here in Michigan, I said this is a deer I really want to get to next year because he'll be an awesome Michigan buck for 2016. So the last time I got pictures of him or saw him was Christmas Day last year. Now, as you know, we've talked a couple times throughout this year about how excited I was, hoping he'd come back. But, you know, last year he didn't show up on my farm until September. So I've been biding my time, checking cameras. He had not shown up over the summer. So I was just hoping, well, once September hits, hopefully he'll be here. Well, I got back from my Western trip. And two nights ago, I think it was, I was doing some long-range scouting and I look out in this field, well, I've got this food plot, you know, the, the disaster food plot that I had this summer that got all grown up. Uh, yeah. Well, I managed to get that half of that planted. But right next to that is this thick bedding cover. And who do I see pop out of that thick bedding cover and stand there but Holyfield himself, back for another year. Awesome. So before so you go any further, before you go any further, describe what he looks like to the listeners. Yeah. So if you live in Iowa or Kansas, or Illinois, you won't be that impressed. <laughs> but if you're like me and live in Michigan or Pennsylvania or somewhere like that, you would be. He, he's, an, he's an awesome deer for me. Okay. He is a four-year-old Michigan buck, which is really pretty darn rare. Hitless buck for sure, for just about anyone in the state. Um, he's a shooter for pretty much anyone in the state, almost guaranteed. He's still an eight-pointer, but he's just a big, heavy eight-pointer. He might be maybe 125, maybe up to 130. I don't know, somewhere around there. That's, mm-hmm. an, that's an awesome eight-pointer in my book. And a big body on him looks like. And uh, just like a perfect, clean, wide and tall eight-point rack. And just a super cool deer. So I'm pumped about that. And I'm especially excited because, you know, here in these Michigan properties, it's tough to get a buck through for multiple years. Like right. there's so many deer that I see as three-year-olds. I'm like, oh, you know, or even two-year-olds. I'm like, man, if he gets to next year, it'd be so cool to have a buck for another year. Um, but it, it just does not happen that much. You know, I had six shooter a few years ago that stuck around for a few years. I had another buck called Leaner that made it a few years. But other than that, like every time I have a nice buck, he's dead before the next year. So this is now 
this next opportunity I've had in like the last five, six years here in Michigan to finally be after a buck for multiple years. And I think this deer is really killable. Um, he, he, were you going to say something then, Dan? Yeah. So remind us how much, how many acres you're dealing with? How many acres do you have control of? So this is a 90 acre property. Okay. Of which 45 is open crop field. And then 45 is like a, a square of timbery swamp and then kind of kind of think of like a hockey stick this property looks like a hockey stick okay um so the long arm of the hockey stick is a little finger of timber and then on the end of that is a food plot and a bunch of tall grassy brushy bedding cover and stuff and then on the fat part like the bottom of the hockey stick that's kind of it's bigger than a hockey stick but that yeah. becomes a big fat kind of rectangle of swamp and then on the inside corner of that hockey stick and then the whole outside other side of it that's all these big fields gotcha so and then surrounding it is a bunch of properties that all get hunted by a bunch of different people um neighbors on one side shoot it seems like anything i talked to them once and thought they were going to get on board with not shooting anything under two two years old at least but i'm not sure if they're doing that anymore um i've got one neighbor that i stay in touch with really nice guy and he usually doesn't shoot young deer um but other than that it's kind of open open game on anything and there's also public land um adjacent to it as well that just gets shot up like crazy um so just it's it's a good spot and then it's also a tough spot in certain ways so so yeah having a four-year-old buck gets me really excited here and um so here's this here's the story on him and i don't know how interested you are in this stand but hopefully this is interesting (laughs) i'm interested i'm interested so okay so holyfield last year do you remember the just before the opening of last year i had this time i came on the podcast and i told you about how this night i was scouting the same area and i saw like three shooters come into this one food plot like three days before opening day right remember that and yep. like i analyzed that situation and one of those bucks was the buck we call turd ferguson um yep. and then three days later i shot him in that same field okay well one of the other bucks in that field was this buck holyfield um so He's doing very similar to the same things he did last year, at least based on this one encounter. But last year I saw him bedded in the same little spot right in between the road and this food plot. It's just like tall, brushy grass and a few brushy trees. But, you know, I've never seen bucks bed up there before, but he seems to take a hankering to it because I saw him come out of there several different times last year, and now here he was again this year. Um, and he feeds in this front food plot a lot. At least he did last year. I got, I think, eight or nine different daylight trail camera pictures of him out there and many other after dark pictures. And then I watched him personally three different times out there in person. Um, right. So of all the bucks I think I've ever had on this farm in Michigan, I think he's probably the most daylight active. Okay. Um, so that's a really good thing. And he's in a very huntable spot. Now, this exciting. isn't the buck that you shot low on last year, right? Correct. This is not okay. that buck. Okay. This is um, that buck. He, he didn't. Sh- that buck, I think, is dead because he disappeared right. off my cameras at the end of October. This deer did not show up the night that I shot Turd, um, but he showed up like two weeks later. One night I was hunting that same stand and walked underneath me, and I watched him bump does around and stuff. Um, and then. And then from there, it was just, you know, a few late season encounters. I watched him from a long distance a couple times, lots of pictures. Um, but did I tell you about the trail camera analysis I did of him this summer? Did we talk about that? Uh, was it when you were using the uh, deer lab? 
Yes, I think okay. I think maybe I think I talked about that on one of the podcast ads for Deer Lab, but I'm not sure we actually talked about it in person, did we? I don't um, think so. I, I don't I don't think to me you mentioned that you you were entering those pictures in and you noticed you know you were doing analysis on his movement. Yeah, yeah. So so long story short on that, right? You know, I upload all the pictures I have of of him onto Deer Lab, which is uh, you know an online tool that allows you to upload your trail camera pictures and it does a number of different analyses from that. Um, yeah. and just so, started using it. Have you? It's it's pretty, yeah, it's a it, it's a neat tool. It's awesome. Yeah. I think, um, you know, Deer Lab is a great option. There's several others. I think any, you know, any way you're going about trying to get more details out of the data, you know, it's one thing to just get a picture and say, oh, cool, a buck. But I think once you start asking why and looking at all the other factors that line up with these sightings or pictures, that's when you really start uncovering things. And Deer Lab is a really great tool to do that. Um, so I'm interested to hear how things that what maybe you found out by using mm-hmm. that too. But, um, Long story short, I threw all these pictures in there, and I started looking at the data that it started kind of aggregating for me. And, like, the big eye-opener for me was that he was almost exclusively showing up on this food plot during daylight when there was south or southwest winds. Yes. And I never hunt that spot with south or southwest winds because it blows right into this bedding area. So I was like, wow, if that's the only time I could get a shot at him during daylight, well, I'm never going to be there on those days. So what I did is... Makes you think, doesn't it? Oh, it opens your eyes to a lot of things. really makes you think about it. And then it also, it's like, well, no wonder that's why he doesn't come out. He knows that he's got the wind in his favor, and so that's when he comes out during daylight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's got two spots he's bedded because I saw him you know, two or three nights ago with a northwest wind, but he was bedded in this other location. So I think when he's got a north or northwest wind, he beds on this spot, like right next to the food plot between the road and the food plot. And if ever, every time I traditionally would go to the stand, I would walk right past this little area. So he probably sits in there and watches the ATV trail that I walk in on, sees me when I go walking in, and never comes out of his bedding area till after dark. Yeah. Or he beds with a south-southwest wind on the neighbor's property in this brushy area, and those are the days that I've never hunted there. And so then he comes in, and, and I'm not there. So I did two things. Number one, if I've got a north-northwest wind, I might still try to hunt it. I'm going to try to do some long-range scouting before the season and see if he does come out maybe now this year with that wind but beds in the front area. If he does, then what I'll do is I'll take a really long circular route to get out and around Um past that bedding area and then in the stand and then if not i'll focus on just those south southwest winds and what i did is i put in a ground blind brushed into this like screen of sorghum and egyptian wheat that i planted around this food plot that allows me to actually walk a creek to the back side of this brushy strip pop out of the creek right into the back of this ground blind i brushed in there that's now on the it's on the north side of this food plot so that south wind would blow it out over this what will be a cut bean field and there won't be anything very often out there Um, so it's going to be a good setup. I put one of those scrape trees out in the food plot. That's exactly 30 yards between the tree stand that I'd use on a North wind or the ground blend that I'd use in a South wind. Um, and I don't know if, if conditions are right on opening night or the second night of the season or something, I think it could be a really good chance, man. I'm pulling for you. Thank you. I'm pumped. Isn't that awesome when I don't know, I get aroused with the chess match just as much as, you know, going into a random set and seeing a random deer. Oh, yeah. It's like, 
I just beat your ass. You know what I mean? That is that to me is awesome. Oh, the chess match is everything for me. That's that's would just oh, absolutely love it. This is my favorite part of deer hunting is like putting all the strategy pieces together or sitting here and talking to you about it or having coffee with a friend and looking at maps and saying, well, what do you think about this versus that versus this? Um, or, you know, I was talking to Tony Peterson a little bit earlier today. Remember him? He, he was on our podcast a while ago talking about public land stuff. Um, and we were talking about my Montana hunt and just like how much fun it is to go into a completely new area like that. And just like you're starting from ground zero and you get, piece number a on night number one and then night number two you get another piece and then the next yep. day and you slowly put pieces together and adjust and make a move and a move and a move and then um you know sometimes you get lucky and you get checkmate and it's pretty awesome it's like yeah it's like chess like war you know yeah it's uh it is it is awesome so i'm excited i'm super stoked for the michigan season open here in two weeks and the ohio season opens this weekend and I don't know, man, it's that time of year. But I want to talk about your stuff before we run out of time because we're going to do a little bit shorter episode today, like you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to make sure we talk about you, what's going on with your life too, Dan. What's new on the whitetail farm? Oh, man. Uh, well, about my main farm down south. So real quick, um, put in, you know, started using Deer Lab, right? So they have this feature where uh, you got the heat map, right for the profiles of the different deer mm-hmm. and then you can like break that down well so my buddy my buddy me, me and ryan you know i don't know it's like 2014 when um i gave up my season to film the guy who filmed me for like five years my buddy ryan right yes. and he we, we were chasing that giant called no show jones and he had an encounter with him and he he ended up missing the, ended up missing the buck, and, mm-hmm. you know, hit, hit his antler and, and didn't get, didn't get an opportunity yeah. to, uh, to kill him. God, that but, was a heck of a deer. Yeah. So we're, we're going into this one area and we're looking at trail camera pictures and we're just like, boom, Southeast wind, South wind, Southwest wind, Southeast wind, bingo, Southeast wind. So this one day we go in there, Southeast wind, there he is big buck and and the deer are cruising this marsh all day long so so i now i know that right so i start entering in all these pictures into deer lab and i'm i'm seeing this this movement along this fence line uh in this marsh for throughout different periods of the day and i'm noticing a trend right i'm noticing that on south winds southeast winds they're coming up this draw where the southeast wind is blowing right up this draw and i and that's when i i realized that okay if i'm just a little bit east of that and my wind is blowing parallel to that draw but not going down into it all these deer are going to funnel through there and that they did exactly that and so now i have tree stands closer to this area where i'm where this main this main finger of timber is buttoned up against this draw and i cannot wait to hunt it on the first north northeast wind now, what's your game plan? Are you going to hunt that what time of season? First Probably. time you get that wind? Or are you waiting until uh, this is rut? No, I'm going to wait until um, – because the other cool thing about Deer Lab is that it gives you – you know, it, it has all the dates there for you as well. So I'm guessing somewhere all the daylight pictures for this particular fence crossing happened about, oh, the 20th through the 25th of October. That's when they start getting morning daylight pictures. So the first 
time I get a south-southeast wind uh, on October 20th through 25th, I'm going to be in that stand. Nice. I want, I want yep. to make a public service announcement right here that both what you and I have just done here is we've taken a look at past year's trail camera pictures. Yep. Annual patterns. And looking at those annual patterns and applying them to our plan for this year. And I think that's one, I think for both of us, it sounds like this has been one of the big lessons we've been learning over the recent years, learning from some of these other guys we talked to. Um, So if you're listening right now and you're not thinking about that stuff, you know, if your season hasn't started yet, this is that time. Go back, look at those old pictures, try to see some of these trends, whether you just look at the pictures yourself or put them into a tool like we've been doing um, or map it out on an Excel doc or something. Look for those trends and figure out, you know, because these deer do things for a reason, and many exactly. times that happens year after year. Um, not always. It's not a rule. But um, I think the more I look at it and pay attention to it and study it, the more I see these same similar types of patterns emerge. So, so yeah, man, I think uh, I think you're onto something there. Yep. Uh, and, and that's the same, same thing with another piece of the property. Uh, I, I got – so long story short, I got my trail cameras kind of – half of them situated to uh, pinch points, fence crossings, more of a travel corridor where I'm going to pick up not necessarily a ton of pictures, but the most important pictures. So when a shooter is moving through this area at what time of year, that's the most important, not when it's over a mineral site, not when it's over like a bait pile, because that really doesn't help me because I can't hunt over those anyway. Right. 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 So, so that, that information doesn't, doesn't mean anything to me it's the fence crossings it's the pinch points it's getting them anywhere from october 1st to um, right before shotgun season that period of time and those trail camera pictures are the most important uh, pieces of data for me now uh, so i i've i've made the transition from mineral stations to to those pinch points fence crossings travel corridors blah 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 um another thing that I did was so last at the beginning of last year, late last summer, I had access to, uh, I, I gained access to a new farm. Um, and I didn't put any trail camera pictures on it because it was late. So I just went out and hunted it. So I kind of, for, and this was a piece of property that was closer to where I live, like 10, 15 minute drive. Now, I, uh, my buddy's farm. I told you two shooters, right? Two yeah. two deer that were close to Booner. Booner I ended farm. up missing. I ended up missing one. We have to. Have a, right? We need a name for that one. His uh, name is Bam Bam. Well, okay. I meant the farm, but the, so the, oh, the Booner is Bam Bam. The Booner that I missed, his name's Bam Bam, and that was the name given to him by the landowner because he runs trail cameras too. He doesn't hunt. He just likes running trail cameras. Nice, right? Nice. So I'm up there one day, right? He comes through. Uh, he comes up this draw. I call my buddy. And he's in the house and he looks out his window, he sees him. And then I said, I, I'm, while I'm on the phone with him, I say, clap your hands. So he, <laughs> he claps his hands, the deer look up, they don't run because they, they're used to people up there. Oh so gosh. they slowly start making their way back down. He's following a doe and, I'm, and I draw back, long story short, miss him high. Well, I continued to get pictures of him until about d- the shotgun season and then I lose him, right? No more pictures of this buck at all after that. Then, two day, or earlier this week, I go out or uh, sometime last week or the, I don't even know. I can't even keep track of my own ass. I feel like I'm about to hear some great news right now. Right. Guess who shows up on trail camera? One 
like one mile northwest up the cr- same creek system on this farm that I have access to. Bam, 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 bam. On a diff- the different farm? The, the other farm, but it's the same creek system, right? That's crazy. So these deer are running, they're running this, the same exact creek system, right? And it's kind of all downhill. It's a giant pinch point, right? Now it's all, it's all, you know, it's all downhill. They run this, this creek system. My buddy's property is like the Mecca of pinch points, right? Right down at the bottom of, of where he lives. Now this other property where I got pictures of him, I also pulled out one, two, three other shooters and, and, and that's shooters based off age class, right? Yeah. So, so bam, bam. I got a couple pictures of him, so I know he's alive. So I know that mid to late October, uh, I'm not going to touch my buddy's property, and probably until mid to late October. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Guess who has a food plot at my buddy's property? Ooh, I do. This guy. This guy. So That's now, exciting. after the first frost, and as the deer start maybe hitting that property, I'm going to run trail cameras until I see any type of buck activity on that property. Meanwhile, I'm going to be hunting and putting pressure on the property to the north of there. So if I do push the deer somewhere, it's going to push them south down that drainage into my buddy's property. That's nice to have those two spots like that where you can right. you, know, you can be in his wheelhouse maybe on property number one without right. being too worried because you know worst case scenario, if you happen to bump some deer, they very well might move down towards your honey hole. Right. And that's the thing. Like I'm going to do early season hunting in observation stands over top of this bean, uh, over top of this bean field. And uh, to be, I'm going to be honest with you. I might go in there on wrong winds just, just to bump him south. Because if I, if I know, if I know that he is in this area early October, guess where I know he's going to be in mid-October to late October to early November. He's going to be running around, running that same pinch point between all these properties on my buddy's, on my buddy's farm. So pushing, you know, putting pressure in one specific area and maybe observing, observing, Oh, Hey, I saw him at 300 yards. Okay. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to move in to try to kill him. Okay. Uh, I didn't kill him. I spooked him. Guess where he's going. Hopefully right down there to where he'll be. Uh, that's 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 my that's that's a really aggressive tactic. Um, so the good thing is is I have shooters up north and I have shooters down on my main farm. Um, although I would like to kill, you know, if I if I had my ch- choice, I would want to kill a buck that I had some kind of history with, like Tupac, that that big ten mm-hmm. I have that's running around. But a shooter is a shooter is a shooter. You know what I mean? And, that, and that's the question that we have, that I want to get to here. So you've got you've got Bam Bam. You've right. got Tupac, who you have like forever years of history with. Yep. You've got Gordon Bombay back this year, right? Yep. Uh, and God knows how many other great bucks on trail camera that I can't even keep straight in my head. All these great bucks are out there, Dan. Right. But you haven't got an arrow in one for a number of years, and you've talked about how you're feeling some pressure. So right. the season opens up in 10 days. What's your decision right now? Where are you at on the shoot or not shoot decision scale for 2016 four-year-old again it's a four-year-old it's it's going to be a four-year-old um i got one like seven different 
seven, eight different deer that I have put on a hit list that are at the age class of four-year-old or older, and I will pull the bow back on the first four-year-old that walks in front of me. I think that sounds like a good plan. Yeah, and access. I'm taking risks this year. I'm walking crick systems. I'm buying hip waders. I'm I'm knocking on different doors to try to gain access through, you know, hey, can I can I just park my car here, my truck here, so I can walk the crick into the place that I hunt? You know, if I have to get wet, if, you know, I'm to the point now where I figured this farm out enough to where I know that I'm, I'm effing things up driving through the farm on a morning hunt. I'm pushing everything away from me driving my truck back there to get down there. I have to come in through an opposite direction. So then I'm relying on the other hunters doing what I'm doing, but guess what? I'm in between where they're coming in from and where they need to go. So you're just waiting in ambush. Right. Did that ho- like hopefully that works, right? Knock yeah. on wood. <laughs> you know, you can only ever figure so much and then you have to kind of leave it into fate's hands and hope it all works out the way you want it to. But right. man, sounds like plans are coming together well. I, I don't want to I'm not gonna say it, Dan. Well, I'm not well. I, <laughs> I don't say it because last year you said this is your year. I know. <laughs> and, and I you know I, you can be you can part of being a good hunter is sealing the deal when the opportunity meets the hard work, right? Yes, yes. So when the you know that is the part that I have to finish. I have to put the period at the end of the sentence. I can get in position and I've been doing that for a number of years. But it's, you know, bad shots. Tupac should have been dead in 2013 as a four-year-old, right? Yeah. Now he's, uh, whatever, he's a seven-year-old. 17 year old. years old or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if I can get him now, that would be awesome. Good story. If oh, I can yeah. get any four-year-old. I mean, I'm not, I don't care if it's a 120-inch four-year-old. It's getting an arrow at it yeah. if it's inside, you know, my shooting range. Well, I, I won't say it's your year. I'm just going to say... You're due and you deserve it, and I got my fingers ah. crossed for you. Hey, take that back. Nobody here's and here's my opinion. Nobody deserves anything. You have to work for it. Nobody deserve. You know, there's guys out there who have hunted hard, just like me, out in public ground, out in you know that are doing the same thing that me and you are doing, and they've struck out several years and they're getting frustrated. Very true. And, and they're want you know they're going, dude, it's your year. You're due. You know, you deserve it. You don't deserve it. You got it. You got to work. This is like we said, this is a chess match, man. This is, this is, you're trying to take an animal's life and that life, that animal knows it. And he is trying to avoid you and you have to beat him at his own game. Sorry. That's me. That's me like getting fired up. (laughs) I won't argue with you on that at all. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I I got really fired up there. All all I will say is that I believe in you. Good. That, I that's like all that I'll say. I like that. Better. I believe in you. You put in the work, <laughs> and I'm excited to see how these coming weeks come come out. And I for hope Holyfield steps out for you. Oh man, I'm stoked about that. That's ten days away, and four days from now I go down to Ohio for opening weekend, and mm. I don't have as high hopes for that. It's going to be like high 80s, super hot, but I'm going to go down there for two quick days, check cameras, hunt, observation stands, hunt observation stands in the evening. And um, and then we probably won't go back till like late October or November. We're gonna 
leave it alone. So this is just like kind of a Intel visit really fast and quick. And then, um, you know, like every year, I'll kind of watch the weather and see if something really gives me a reason to go down there. But uh, the season is upon us, man. Um, all right, real quick before we go. It sounds like for you, a successful season, you know, I, I know we always talk about that success is different than killing a deer, et cetera, et cetera. But let's just focus on actual the killing part of yep. hunting. It sounds like for you, kill a four-year-old buck and you are happy camper, yeah? Amen. All right. My goal for the season is to kill Holyfield in Michigan and then a four-year, four-year-old in Ohio. If I can do one of those two things, uh, I'd love to do both. But if either one of those come together, that's that's a super exciting, awesome season as far as I'm concerned, on top of the fact that I was able to pull off my goal in Montana. So, what, Real quick, real quick, and I, I know we got to go. I'll make this fast. So my wife had a conversation with me the other day. And in this conversation, she expressed interest in me in killing more does so we could have more meat to take to the processor for deer sticks and deer jerky that she likes. Heck yeah. So now with her wanting these things, she's it's like, yeah, I, I, I don't care. Go out and hunt. I just want you to, you know, you know, take a deer to the processor and make some jerky because I really like it. So my wife is now a little bit like – in tune with what I'm trying to get at. And that's a first for me. I'm really excited about it. So like the first two, three weeks of October, I have three doe tags in two different counties and I am going to kill my, my goal is to try to kill three does. And I don't give a shit if I have 100 pounds (laughs) of deer sticks in my freezer, (laughs) I'm going to, I'm getting deer sticks for my wife this year. That's awesome, dude. I love it. But I want to tell you one thing. You gotta stretch those doe tags over the whole season so that even middle of November you can be telling her, Well, honey, I have to hunt all day for the next ten days because I get get those deer sticks for you. So no, strategic. Strategic. She also <laughs> says to me, So, you know, I I told her I got uh, three doe tags and she says, Yeah. So you can you know, so you can get some deer sticks this year. I'm like, Yeah. And she's like, I also want you to kill a big buck this year. And I'm and I, I didn't even know what to say. To <laughs> I was just like, Yes. Yeah. Yes, I will. Did a tear <laughs> Did a tear come running out of your eye at that point? No, because I know that uh, about uh, four days into the uh, November rut, she's going to be wanting my ass back home. <laughs> <laughs> well, enjoy the dream now, I guess. Right, right. Amen. <laughs> All right, dude. Well, with that, we're going to have to shut this one down a little bit early. But thank you all for joining us today for these quick updates, and stay tuned for a lot more in the coming days and weeks. We've got some great episodes lined up for you both on this podcast and the 100% Wild podcast, and I'm also publishing new journal entries on the blog after every hunt, so be sure to check those out, and we'll have video of my Montana hunt up on YouTube here shortly too, so be sure to keep your eyes uh, peeled for, for all sorts of interesting stuff along those lines. And finally, we need to thank our partners who helped make this podcast possible. So thank you to Sitka Gear, Redneck Blinds, Huntera Maps, Yeti, Ozonics, Carbon Express, Maven Optics, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. And with all that said, thank you all for joining us today. Good luck with your upcoming hunts, and stay wired to hunt.